Hey everyone, welcome to Locked on Lakers for Tuesday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. You need 65 games to win a postseason award with 15 back-to-backs. Is Anthony Davis going to get there? We'll talk about it with Mike Trudell next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Lockdown Lakers first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free, never behind a paywall. And Lockdown Lakers on YouTube is where you can go and hang out with over 20,000 subscribers, all of whom are very excited to get going with the season. Enough of this offseason stuff. Uh, but they'll be very excited to see our friend Mike Trudell, who we're going to get to uh, in just a second. Mike Trudell, of course, you know him from uh, Lakers Thanks, Broadcasts. Bro and at Lakers Reporter, and all the podcasting he does. We'll go through the credits here in a second, but I do want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA or enter the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take you off your Bird Dogs, we promise you. Mike, how are you? Well, three quality memes so far uh, embedded into the show there. I'd like this to be succession one. I'm going to miss that show. It's nice to see the two of you. I think at some point, one of the three of us might get confused and just think that we're on ESPN radio in like 2018 <laughs> or something like that. Uh, or one of you, you know, alongside Michael Thompson and, and trying to find ways to keep him engaged uh, for two to three hours, which is my favorite part um, of the job. And I, I genuinely mean that. But I do appreciate another very tall human, one such Anthony Davis that Brian mentioned earlier. And I'm eager to argue with anybody who wants to about how good he is. I don't think I have to, though, on this podcast. No. I think you guys have been properly recognizing um, Anthony Davis. And, and really, it's more of like, when do I get to answer Brian's tease about how many games? I, mean, I, uh, I, I think he's pretty good. I mean, I assume that's what we're all talking about here. Like, Anthony Davis is really good. I mean, what, what, well, I mean look, the, the frustration with Anthony Davis isn't – whether or not you think, because this is this this has become really important. You know, we see like the James Harden, Michigas, and all the other stuff going on. Like who you give your gigantic contracts to, you have to pass two bars. The first bar is, are you a colossal pain in the ass? Like ideally, no. You know, so James Harden doesn't really pass that one. Kyrie sets off red flags with the, do you really want to be giving that guy $65 million a season or something like that? So you want a dude who is um, culture-wise going to work for you, and I think Anthony Davis does that, you know, even if he's not the super supreme alpha leader, whatever, fine. Dude shows up to work. He plays hard. He's going to take care of himself. You know, all that stuff. You're not going to, you know, he's not going to throw your organization off. The second thing is, is he good enough to be one of, quote unquote, those dudes? And the frustration with Anthony Davis become, is, is just because his top end is so eye-popping when he's fully locked in and fully like at his, at his top level that you just wish you saw it all the time. It's hmm. not, it's not I... that I think... Don't his know if I agree with that. Of play, I just feel like I feel like his normal rate of play is still elite. It's still well above the line. It's just that he's capable of doing certain things 
that because basically nobody else in the league, one or two guys else in the league, can do the stuff where he blocks, you know, contests a shot out on the three point line, blocks a shot on the baseline, runs the floor and finishes on the other end. That highlight was going around earlier in the summer. That to me is the is the difference here. Like the thing that you look at him and go, like nobody else can do that. And so every once in a while, when he let's I don't know, we, we we compare him sometimes to Powell where like he, you don't feel like he's quite asserting himself uh in in a game in the ways that he could you just wish there was something more but it's not because you see there's potential there and he's just not reaching all-star caliber play that's not even close to the issue he's a top 10 guy top five guy you know some nights top two or three when you play two way you know we put everything together so we don't have a problem with anthony davis <laughs> i'm short of it but like you, you know you seem to you don't seem to like that characterization well so even so even as you've been as you were saying that right and another good me hey, hey what's up adam sandler to me the defense is so elite at a baseline that what you're basically talking about there is like offensive aggression. Correct. That is correct. And and so that ignores the fact that what he does defensively keeps you in every basketball game that he's playing in. And that baseline can only be reached by a couple of other players in the NBA. And some most of them are kind of younger and still up and coming. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. being one of them that I think is kind of the closest approximation where if he's on the floor, your defense is good because the rim is protected. He can switch. Uh, he's going to deflect passes. He's going to block shots directly. He's going to discourage drives from even happening. So that when AD is on the floor, the f- when he's on the basketball floor, your floor as a team is already high. Now, of course, you're right that when he's in attack mode offensively and, and all that, that's great. And then that that takes him from a top 10 player who because even when he's struggling offensively, Andy, if he's not hitting shots, he's still super efficient because he's getting putbacks. You know, he's getting fouled. He's still doing stuff on that end. And where I saw the evolution, though, and, and this is where I guess I would – I think the AD discussion has to evolve from what we've seen in the two playoff runs with the Lakers uh, because that is something that even Joel Embiid, who just won the MVP, has not done yet. Uh, not only the defensive floor, but even offensively, Embiid has not been as good as Anthony Davis has been for extended playoff runs. The one guy who has clearly is now Jokic, right, who has overtaken AD and anybody else uh, in terms of a big man. But that's that's it. Like, that's the whole list for bigs that have the two-way impact. Because Giannis, as great of a defender as he is, he isn't the lone presence defensively. Um, that At least we haven't seen it because he's almost always playing with Brooke Lopez. It, he, he'd be the approximation, though, of it. So I just – I always want to enter into the discussion when we talk about 80s aggressiveness. And, like, yes, but please let's acknowledge the defense. And then also, teams started game planning for him ahead of LeBron this postseason. And that wasn't happening either, where it's the quick double – and that opens up the rest of the floor for everybody else. So I, I know you didn't bring me on here to be like AD Stan. I just, as I've listened to the offseason collective NBA opinion on him, I've, I've found myself wanting to put my hand up and be like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's, he's better than that. And he showed it when it matters. One thing that I, I, I think is really interesting about AD, Mike, and it's something I've mentioned a lot on the show, but I, I don't remember if you and I have ever specifically had this conversation. When it comes to AD and his scoring is – I think so much of it gets viewed through the prism of because he's playing with LeBron at this stage of LeBron's career and the burden that you're looking to take off LeBron at almost 39 entering season 21, 
a lot of the question of is AD doing enough offensively? Is he aggressive enough? Is he putting enough of a stamp on the game? I think gets viewed a lot through the prism of just what you need for him specifically paired with LeBron now, because otherwise, you know, the guy averaged 26 and a half points a game. Like that is by any reasonable standard, really good. Like if LeBron was 32, you'd be talking about AD as unfair as his number two. But a lot of this I think is really specific to just Mm -hmm. what you need for LeBron right now. And just, how much you want to take off his plate in ways that I think are relevant. And ultimately, this is, you know, this is what AD signed up for. He knew that he would be part of LeBron's twilight, and there comes a responsibility with that. But I think that sometimes does get lost in this discussion. Yeah. It's, so LeBron and AD have been symbiotic in so many ways. And sometimes we talk about the way that things take as how long they take to fit. And, oh, these guys just need time together. Well, AD and LeBron didn't need time together. What were they, 21 and 2 or something (laughs) at the start of the 2019-20 season? And that's one of those teams that I think kind of goes, is going to go, is going to be remembered for the bubble run. And with the, at a a harsh point for some people with an asterisk, from a more generous perspective, uh, maybe perhaps not. But I always like to think about that team as one that won 17 straight games in Western Conference road arenas. That was my favorite stat from that season. That's a dominant team, right? That's a team that when a challenge was presented, and that was with those guys just immediately in terms of skill set and and sort of how they covered for one another on the court. Uh, That was great. And I think the relevancy coming into this year with LeBron and AD is that I don't know that I need anything more than what Davis gave in that postseason run. And LeBron was certainly able for the first two series to give that max, you know, four out of the seven times that he needed to. But once it got up to to Denver and to Jokic playing at that level and to Denver having no injuries and basically playing six players, you know, with the seventh playing a little bit, you know, that, that got to be the point where I think LeBron and to a lesser extent AD needed some time ahead of that run to essentially not rest for it, but just get the body right. And that's where I saw the team kind of falter was that the the gas meter, um, and I think first for LeBron in year 20, this year will be 21, and then AD because he has to do so much defensively on this team without much other help in terms of bigs, right? LeBron and Rui played backup center for them. And that, guys, is still to me what has not really been addressed on the roster. Uh, and will it be – I don't know that it can be before training camp. I don't know that Jackson, Jackson Hayes can be expected to come into that spot defensively. So that's where it's not so much about the AD and LeBron balance. It's just that is there another guy that can take some of that load? Because they got plenty of guys now to take the offensive load. Austin, Gabe Vincent coming in, D'Lo. I think that stuff's fine. It's just that the athlete, big impact type, just body, um, that, that to me is what you need because of LeBron being in year 21 versus what he was in year 17 when they won the title. All right. I Mike just – pulling things off the rails, changing the agenda of the show, coming in, doing it his way. We'll stick on this, and uh, we will come back and, and talk a little bit about this this defensive support because it is an angle that I, I actually we have not spent a ton of time on in the offseason, so we'll do all that next. 
Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Bird Dogs, the makers of shorts and pants that feature the future of comfort built in underwear. It's stitched inside the pants or shorts, almost like a layer of boxer brief that is at one with the clothing. They call it Comfort Kingdom, and you can rule this land in your Bird Dogs. You can look better, feel great wearing your Bird Dogs. The stretchy fabric makes my legs, your legs, everyone's leg look great. And they are comfier than other pants or shorts because they're not made from the typically stiff, restricting cotton in most legwear. The Bird Dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks like khaki, but it stretches. It's also versatile. You can wear the same pants or shorts on a golf course, on a work meeting, even on a date. And same day even. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. When you enter the promo code, again, LockedOnNBA, they will throw in a free white tech hat with every order. Look at this. It's great, right? I wear it all the time. You want to get yourself one, so get yourself a hat. Get yourself some bird dogs. So, Mike, you were talking about like the the offensive support is obviously, you know, the Lakers have that. They believe in Austin Reeves, but for LeBron and, and AD, they have it in Austin Reeves and they have it in uh, Rui and obviously D'Angelo Russell and other dudes around the roster who come in and put some points on the board. Um, that's not shouldn't be uh, a major problem for the Lakers. I do think outside shooting is still going to be a question until it isn't. But the defensive support for AD, that's an interesting one. And so where do you see them with that? Because there has been some talk, maybe he plays with Jackson Hayes. You know, maybe they even start him. I don't see that. I'm just saying there's been chatter. Um, where does that sort of secondary support for AD come, particularly over the course of the regular season? Because you can't depend on it to be LeBron for 82 games. I think the first answer for me comes in the form of Jared Vanderbilt. And I know that there's some discussion externally, internally about Rui Hachimura, just because if you had to pick who had a better overall postseason between the two, it would be Rui. I, I, I do think that he is the better all-around player for what they have shown at this point. And he would be the one for me that's more likely closing games. But the thing that we found out about Vanderbilt is that he can guard any guard in the NBA. So he's like, he's six, nine, he's got all this energy. You think of him as a power forward sort of classically, but because he moves his feet so well and he's so long and he just likes to be up in, in the ball in the way that sort of Dennis Schroeder is, uh, he to me is a ideal cover for a backcourt of Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell, which we think it most likely would be to start the season. And if you put Gabe Vincent in early for either one of those two guards, because then if let's say that the, if the other teams, if it's Golden State, that's somebody who can then chase Steph and Austin doesn't have to do that or D'Lo doesn't have to do it. But what that does to kind of bring the big man conversation back into this, that creates more defensive responsibilities on the back line for AD and for LeBron. Uh, and if there were a big on the roster, say, I, I mentioned Brooke Lopez earlier, just thinking like a, of a classic drop big who protects the rim. He can shoot threes on the other end. You know, then that means that AD doesn't have to do everything as an anchor defensively. Um, and he doesn't also have to switch out into the perimeter and that kind of stuff. So I, the, there to me, there isn't yet the player on the roster um, that can really do that. Although Jackson Hayes has a chance and I think they'll add a 14th player, which will most likely be a center. And maybe that person will have some, uh, some specialties along those lines, but, I don't, I don't know that you can get that player that like who can hang in a postseason game, like especially in a high leverage one. As you guys know very well, we we watched those games together um, in the arena back in the like the Kobe Powell Bynum days. 
like there there isn't that there isn't either Lamar Odom or Andrew Bynum like waiting to come in if needed be if need be on the sideline uh, and like that to me is the well, element certainly where, not for the veterans minimum <laughs> that, that's exactly. for sure <laughs> right right exactly and so but the Lakers do have some contracts and some players that are in that middle range now where you could package things together um, if that if it if that proves to be the type of need that I think that it might be um, just based on not wanting to stress. AD and LeBron, who, let's face it, is more of a big defensively, uh, I think now. He's, he's more comfortable kind of as that backline safety and directing traffic at Reed style than having to chase guys around, which, which I think another utility for Vanderbilt could be. So that's a long-winded way of just saying that I, I think that they, they have enough to be really good right now, but for the team to be at an absolute peak, there, that's, the, that's the spot that I see as being needed. It's, how good do you think they need to be defensively? This is always a sort of an interesting thing. Like, what is because the Lakers don't need to fit as a top one or top two, top three season. Like, how hard they go. I think they want to avoid the play in for sure. Like, nobody wants to deal with that this year. But I don't think beyond that, that they care too much about whether or not they're a one, a two, a three, or a four, or a six. I just think they don't want to be a seven. So, with that in mind, how hard do you think they go? How good do you think they need to be, I think, defensively to get the seed that they want and need, but not necessarily more than that? Assuming you agree with the, my premise that they're not going to, you know, go, you know, balls to the wall for 82 games. No, well, I mean, Brian, I, I suppose this is why I started so hard on the Anthony Davis front, because when you have him on the roster, Assuming that you just put a couple of live bodies out there as well, he is the thing that you that offenses struggle with. No, but there's just no if he's on the court, it's going to be harder to get good shots. And there's a couple of guys like that in the league, as I as I mentioned earlier. So he if he's out there, the defense is going to be really good. Um, if you also have maybe a little bit more athleticism, like let's say that Cam Reddish ends up playing really well, defense more than you expect defensively, and you can play some lineups like with him at the two or perhaps earlier in the season, what I think would be even better is that Max Christie, you know, he, if you play Max with either D'Lo or Austin or even Gabe Vincent, you're going to get really solid defense. You're going to get much better rebounding. And you mentioned Torian Prince earlier. Prince has not rebounded much the last couple of years. And I, I think yeah. part of that is because he's been out in the perimeter more taking threes and he's really embraced kind of the three and D, but like you, I think that you need some more rebounding. And that part of that is with LeBron where like, LeBron's going to rebound great um, when you when you really need it, but against Detroit in January when they've just got twenty one to twenty five year old athletes flying all over the place, like can you expect right that LeBron is going to be at that specific level? And that to me is more what the regular season is about: is just having like having enough collective energy on the floor. And I I did want to kick this back to you though because the shooting. The shooting conversation is one that I think has gotten a little bit out of hand in, in NBA circles, and LeBron and AD are such a good test case for it because shooting, they're both of them are pretty good at everything. Shooting is not either one of their top skills, and so can this is the whole can a modern NBA offense have success? Right when you when you when you only have three shooters, and then they had some lineups where Russell Westbrook was also out there, and then maybe one of the bigs couldn't shoot, so. And yet, as I will posit, the Lakers got to the finals and won while not being a very good shooting team. And then Milwaukee did again the next year, even though Milwaukee took a lot of threes. They weren't particularly efficient in that, in that instance. 
Golden State is certainly one of the best shooting teams of all time. So that's like that. That's where we start to have the conversation. Was Denver an elite shooting team last year? Well, Murray and KCP. I mean, Porter when he gets hot, Jokic became an elite three point shooter in last season's postseason run, where it felt like he wasn't going to miss. But is so if that's not the best skill of LeBron or AD, how do you construct an offense uh, that is efficient by modern NBA terms? Or since they can both still get to the rim and finish and then you're not going to be losing anything defensively from them, what is the ideal fit in terms of roster to put around them? So it's just a – I'm curious how you guys look at them as a duo and how you incorporate them into the shooting thing because I, I feel like I've been talking about this ad nauseum um, and been on the shooting isn't as, as important as everyone says it is now, but uh, maybe, maybe, uh, I'm, maybe I need to evolve my thinking some after what Denver did. Uh, in last season's run. All right. Well, again, we'll, we'll, and if we need to, we'll push this stuff to, to another show. But uh, let's talk about that next. It's an interesting point that you're making, Mike, because like, I, I think the distinction is, and Andy, tell me if you agree, it's not that you can't win without elite shooting. It's just that it can be harder. It can be harder to run an effective offense and at the very least, I am not really convinced that, necess- that the Lakers have necessarily solved their shooting issue. Um, they've not been a great outside shooting team. I don't necessarily think that has improved. And if it isn't improved, it makes it harder. That's my basic theory, Andy. Um, I think the Lakers have potentially addressed some of this. Um, you know, we'll see what was Gabe Vincent's outside shooting in the playoffs. Uh, foundation of something to build on or was that just being hot at the right time you know in a very fortunate time for Miami did Rui turn a corner in terms of his outside shooting I don't expect him to you know hit threes like Steph 75 percent yeah right no I don't <laughs> expect that in the but, but if he's somewhere if he, in between, if, he's like the all-time leading three-point shooter in NBA history right now <laughs> for the him playoff. and Steve Kerr playoff yeah. Rui is a big thing <laughs> right but okay if he's somewhere in between awesome yeah, if he's somewhere in between what he did in the playoffs and the regular season, that is a more than capable outside shooter. Well, is Austin Reeves what we saw for real? Like, you know, from last year, is that who Austin is moving forward? Because while it was a big sample size over a season, it's a small sample size in terms of a career. You know, can frankly, can LeBron get back to just being an average three-point shooter. Well, that's, that's the key point, though, because this is, this is really an, a question about LeBron and AD. Because you could put the three, you could put three, three guys that do nothing but shoot three-pointers. And I think that was part of the concept with Malik Beasley, even though Malik Beasley is not as good of an open three-point shooter as you might think. No, he's a volume, um, and man. you know what I mean? And so I just think LeBron, he's not going to shoot 26% from three again, I don't think. Let's say that he at least gets back up to 30. But it's still he's still not going to be a, a knockdown based on all the other stuff that he has to do. And Anthony Davis isn't necessarily going to be there on volume or percentage. And so that's what – but they give you still so much more as a duo. I'm, I'm always trying to think about then what do you really want around them? Do you just want dead-eye shooting? Do you just want defense? And this is the whole 3 and D thing. Well, how many guys can you get that can sort of approximate both? And that's where we know that Austin Reeves can. We know that Rui did in the postseason. Vanderbilt was one end. D'Lo, first two series, pretty good. Against Denver, it was more, it it became a little bit less to the point. But Vincent, you know, is he a guy that can kind of hold up on both ends? Uh, And 
in a different way from what Dennis did because he's a better three-point shooter than Dennis, even if not quite the athlete defensively. So it's just a – it's always to me such and, a And Torian pick. Prince is an established three-point shooter. Like we, yeah, we yeah, know career, he's good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so he can shoot, and then we think that he can play defense, but he hasn't had to do it at that level of like against Denver, where you really have to be locked in for the full series. So it's just like a it, it all it all goes back to the LeBron and AD pairing. With that said, you know Austin Reeves becoming like such a real guy that that gives the Lakers a little bit more uh, utility uh, on that end as well. Are you because I do get some flags? I, I get a lot of flack from from listeners of the show for being i don't want to say pessimistic on Rui because that's not actually my ad i think that it was a great i'm glad that they brought him back my only thing with Rui is it is to project the three-point shooting particular um from the playoffs to the regular season going in this year to say okay he is that guy a you know a high 30s low 40s whatever three-point shooter that to me is a step too far because he has not been anywhere close to that um, as a regular over the course of a regular season, the counter that some people will throw at me is, well, you seem to not be lacking in any faith about Austin Reeves and his ability to shoot around 40% from three point range. And that is true. I do actually have much more faith in Reeves to do it. I think, you know, certainly in the world cup, he's, he's justifying that kind of love. Are you at all concerned that because Reeves at 34% is a very different player than Reeves at 38 or 39 or 40. So are you at all concerned that last year's improvement regresses? Okay. So this is another one of the things that I probably focus on too much, but I don't think there's a difference between 34 and 38% because that's like probably 11 shots over the course of the year going rimming in and going in instead of rimming out. Because the sample size that we look at for three-point shooting to me um, becomes like way too marginal. Therefore, it's all about how much do you have to at least go out and respect a guy and just and just honor the fact that he will shoot it. And that's where you saw in the Memphis series even, Rui makes three in a row in the first half, and they're like, nah, we're not dealing with this yet. And then he just kept hitting them to the point where they had to eventually go out and rotate, and then that opened the floor up for other or, players. Or the inverse, like the, the 2020 playoff run with Rondo. It's like nobody seemed to get the memo of like, no, if you leave him wide open, right. he's going to hit this three. They kept leaving him alone. He'd hit him totally wide open. You know, Trevor Reza did that in 2009 for the Lakers. Yes. A championship run. Nobody was convinced he'd hit those shots. At the end of the day, the defense didn't respect him. He made him pay. Well, and that's where it got to the point with Vanderbilt, though, where that was clearly what Denver was going to do, and he wasn't hitting enough, and he had right. to be off the floor. And yeah. that, so, and that, so that's the difference, Brian, to me, not between like thirty-four and thirty-eight. That's the difference between like twenty and thirty-three. And mm-hmm. so, to get back to your actual question about Rui, I would just group in Rui, Austin, D'Lo, Gabe Vincent, basically anybody that's on the floor uh, playing next to LeBron and AD. If LeBron and AD are not shooting the ball efficiently, which will happen again, they still have to be guarded a certain way. And they still have to be doubled often. They are, if LeBron's not shooting, he's smart enough to know how many times he can get to the rim or if he's going to post up. So other guys are going to get good shots. They're going to get open threes. And that's where I, I, don't, I just don't worry about that element of an offense. Um, even if the shooting percentage is lower, even if the volume is lower than teams that are specifically orchestrated around shooting threes, because they don't have the two guys that can shift the defense uh, in the way that the Lakers do. So 
Um, I don't I don't expect Rui to shoot that well. I think Austin is going to have to come down some, but but they're going to keep getting good shots and they're good enough to make some. I, you know, let's 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 quit here and I'll ask you the question. You're kind enough to stick with us for one more show, uh, which is one of the things we love about you. You're just you're just a generous and giving person. Um, where do you come down on it? Andy and I have also talked about this, like, you know, the notion of the Lakers in the offseason. There are people who have said, ah, oh, it's the greatest offseason. Like, there were, you know, Rob Palenka is the GM of the, of the universe. Uh, and other people are like, it's completely overrated and this and that, and whatever. I think the Lakers did really well in part because there was no really good avenue for them to get like light years better, like some sort of great leap forward. Just wasn't there. But it would have been very easy, I think, for them to get worse. Um, and while you could argue that maybe they have one extra spot on the roster to a speculative player, um, you know, Jackson Hayes and Cam Reddish, oh, but that's really at the margins. I think the way they rebalanced the roster and got a little bit better without getting any worse is a major win for this offseason. Where are you on, you know, what they did, you know, team at the deadline versus team now? Well, I thought that, there was enough evidence in the postseason to back up the, the post-All-Star break run to, especially when you considered what else was out there. To me, it was pretty clear. No, but essentially run it back. And then I thought that they got the numbers that they ended up getting, uh, particularly for Austin, we all know that. But even for D'Lo, uh, for, for what he actually can do and how productive he is on the court, especially in the regular season, um, that's a good contract. And, you know, Rui also just packaging in for Rui, which we didn't get to in the last segment, but Rui is Rui's a different player when he's your third best athlete behind LeBron and AD because that just overwhelms the defense. That was the issue in Washington. He's playing with like Denny Avdia and, you know, some, some other collection of players that were probably on Brian's fantasy team um, as he was trying to get by. That, that is not going to cut it then. Then it becomes ISO Rui, right? And, but like when it's a slotting issue, so that's, that that just yeah. It's a big reason that I am extremely bullish on Rui and have been from the beginning. Yeah. Is would he be this he have to good? Be the guy. Well, well, look, would he be this good with 15, 20 other teams in the league? Maybe, maybe not. I don't care. I only care about how good he's going to be on this team. On yeah. this team, I think it is very, very easy to play Rui to his strengths, discover even a few Rui. new strengths, and avoid a lot of the stuff that he's not as good at. Again, would that work with two-thirds of the rest of the league? I don't know. I also don't care. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's a, it's a good point, and I'm not just saying that because I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> that And that's where, like, the whole rebuilding of the roster or just, re, just bringing back what they had in that context to me made so much sense. And the reason that I mentioned the contracts is because now, let's say that you – there's something that you don't like or that isn't quite good enough. And it could be a player. It could be a, a skill set. The contracts that you have guys under are such that it just makes it so much easier to go out and find that type of player, um, as opposed to just loop everything into the what Westbrook's salary was, which ended up working out great, by the way, since Utah happened to have excess talent, you know, uh, that they didn't need because they were they had enough young guys and they were looking to rebuild in that context. So I um, that's to me is the encouraging part where you're you're using continuity of a group that definitely worked together. And you're and you're not doing it at the expense of something that like of a move that you're making in the future where you're giving somebody, you know, 
40 like a max basically when you know that it's not a max player like that that didn't happen uh this offseason and that sometimes is can be a, a saving grace all right so we never got to the question that i teased um and i'm still very interested in um we also have kind of opened that? up all kinds of stuff about the rotation all kinds of we need a second show um, that is what we're just going to have to do. Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see uh, this show on Wednesday, which will once again include Mike Trudell with probably the same tease to, to begin the to, to begin the entire thing. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about uh, little Austin Reeves at the World Cup, something I know Mike has been uh, watching closely. All of that coming up Wednesday, uh, and we'll see everyone then.